It's good to see you. It really is good to see you. And those of you who are also uh, back there, it is uh, very good to see you. Thank you for this. It's, uh, it's been three weeks and every week we have been praying for you, thinking about you, looking at as much as we could uh, from where we were uh, to follow what's going on. So thank you also for those who have, have uh, helped lead the worship during, during this time uh, when I was gone teaching and, and took a few days with the sweet one uh, sitting right there, right? So, so it, was, it was beautiful. Thank you again for being such a great church. Don't ever forget that. Whatever people tell you, you are an amazing church, right? As I sometimes say to people, you know, I don't care what they say, you're okay, right? That's not what I mean. We really love you and think that's great. This is also a momentous uh, day in many ways, and next Sunday will be the, the momentous one. And so I want to call us to pray. Uh, next Sunday, right here where I'm standing now, someone will stand in view of a call to be uh, your next uh, leader for the spiritual life in this place and for what God has here. And he will preach in view of a call to that. And we, we do it that way in the Baptist church where we trust that if everyone goes back home to pray and ask God to tell them how to do this, how to pray, how to be convinced that this is what God's will is. We come together and God will express his will through the fellowship and how that is voted. Does that make sense? That's the Baptist way. It's not that we kind of vote according to some kind of democratic principle. We trust that if people go back to pray, earnestly seek God's will, then when they come together, he will express his will through the vote of the people. Yes? So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to pray uh, with us all. And then after the, the sermon, I'm going to call everyone to come and pray and just ask for God to make clear what his will is. Father, we ask as we have come to you, as we have sought you, as we as a church wants to express what it means to love God, to worship him to be his church in this community, we ask that you will speak to us with clarity. I ask that you will pour out your spirit of unity upon this church, that it may be very clear what your will is. Father, would you speak to each and every heart and to all our hearts together as only you can do it, as we seek you. Allow us, Father, to be more interested in what you will than in anything else. May we learn what it truly means to follow God and live up to the things that we have already sung about, that we trust you, even when we can't see the way always ourselves. But Father, this is an exciting time. It is always exciting when you call us together and ask us to take new steps. So we're here. Open ears, open hearts, ready to hear from you. And so I ask also as we, as we pray for this moment that you will walk up, up and down these aisles into every church, into every heart and touch us that we may leave keenly aware that we sat in God's house and we met him, the living Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 
If you have your Bibles, then we'll turn to, to Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 42, and then the following verses. And uh, while you find that, let me just say a, a couple of, of words here um, that I think is true. It belongs uh, to the greatest desire of most Christians that I have ever met to be part of a church that God truly loves and loves to bless. A church that without question is aiming at doing God's will. So the immediate question, of course, that arises from that is, so what's that? What does that look like? Well, we're going to turn to uh, chapter 2 of Acts and, and look at that, right? Because he's already given an, us a model of his church. What he has set out to be, if you will, an example of what it means to be his people, his church in this world. And we see that through that first congregation that was formed in Jerusalem. When we look at that church, and if you don't mind, I'm just going to call it First Baptist Jerusalem. How's that? <laughs> well, how is it not, right? They baptized believers as they came to faith, right? So when we look at that church, that we find described here, we see a f- timeless standard, I believe, for what it means to be God's church. What he has set up as parameters. And so it becomes somewhat of a measuring stick, a benchmark, if you will, with how do we find out what we're supposed to be about? How do we have something to compare with that we can say, this is that toward which? We aim. And so we look at that, even in our century, the 21st century, even in, in our place in, in North Texas, right? In North Dallas, even. We look back to that first church and we're asking, what is it that guides God's people? How do we become church, a church that is born by the Spirit of God, just like we see it right here? And this church and its priorities will guide us in our thinking and our practice even today. So what you'll notice, of course, is that there are very little how-to. How-tos change, yes? Priorities stay. Right? Two of you agree with that? That's the truth. How-tos change. Priorities stay. So if you don't mind, if you have found your place in God's word right now on verse uh, 42 in the second chapter of Acts, and if you're sitting at home, we hope you follow along that you don't feel like you're just watching stuff on the screen, but you participate in this worship. We invite you to be part in that way. So it says here that the church... This is right after, of course, they come to faith, right? And God has poured out his spirit upon these people. And we see that. And Peter has preached and they come to faith. And there are about 3,000 of them that were added that day. We can fill this church up pretty quick with that kind of number, right? I'm glad you're with me on that. They devoted themselves, verse 42, that's the church, to the apostles' teaching to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. 
They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Imagine that. The first thing we notice as we look at this text. Now, I'm just going to break down this text for us, exposit, if you will, what the Word of God says in these things. Here's a church that understands its priorities. It becomes very clear from the very opening of that book. We had just had Pentecost. The church has just been birthed by the pouring, outpouring of God's Spirit. And then this is what's going to characterize the church. There are certain things that they continue to devote themselves to, certain priorities that stand above all kind of other things that are going on. This is indeed a pretty strong word, maybe as strong as you can put it. The the original Greek word here in this text is a word that means that you continue to do something with intense Effort. We can't translate that as literally because then the Bible would be twice as long, right? So they find a comparable English word. It, it is expressing that you want to persist in things regardless of difficulties. That's what carries that. The church devoted themselves to that, unceasingly tying themselves to the apostles' teaching, mooring themselves to the fellowship and two, the prayer. Three priorities that would not be removed. Nothing from the inside or from the outside would shake them from these three first priorities. Can you have three first priorities? I think they did, right? First, the proclamation, that is the teaching of the word of God. And secondly, the relationship between them, the fellowship and then, of course, uh, the, the relationship to God, right? It's the breaking of the bread, the bread and, and the prayer. And this is what created what is said of them right after that. Look at verse 46, right? At the end of that, when I say, they ate their food with joyful and sincere heart, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added every day someone. To them. That's the result of those kinds of clear priorities. Oh, how easy it is to kind of get confused on that. That's why it's such a helpful thing to be reminded again and again. So let's take a look at that uh, this morning. These priorities that nothing from, from without or from within could possibly be allowed to disturb. Or shake From within, of course, we know that, that uh, Ananias and Sapphira tried to kind of introduce lies and deceit from the church. But God himself reached down to stop that. And later on in chapter 6, we see murmurs and discontent and all that arise. And the church took action and said, we need to elect some deacons to stop this. That unity will not be destroyed. From within... 
There was a commitment to these kinds of priorities. And from, the, from without, the same way as precious grew, you can imagine the kind of pressures they had from all kinds of institutions around. This was a new group, right? So religious authorities and government authorities and all kinds of authorities were kind of cramming in on them. But no matter what, the pressure. If you read through the book of Acts, just look at the endings of chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and you'll see that they allowed nothing, nothing to shake them from these priorities. And the church was blessed, and they saw God's work in mighty, hand, in mighty ways in their midst. So, I hope you get inspired by this. Reading a text like that should fill every one of us with a new desire to serve God in strong ways, right? First, it says here that he, they gave themselves to the teaching of the apostles. This was first. More important than anything else, the church saw the preaching and the teaching of God's word, the testimony about life from the church people there as the very lifeline for their existence. That is the sine qua non, if you like Latin, right? That it is that without nothing else exists. That is what is right there. And so you see that they devoted themselves, not superficially, as if just listening, but deeply engaging in study of God's word that they may know they devoted themselves, not just superficially, but deeply. Hear this. Even if you're sitting at home and you're saying, what can I do here from here? I'm not able to be in the church. Reach out and be involved deeply, not superficially in this way. And so they did so engagingly. They did so not sporadically, but continuously. Not just for the sake of their own interests, but for life itself. Self first on their agenda stood the proclamation and the teaching of God's holy word. How does that work today? Do you know someone who is not able to participate? Someone that you can help? Someone that you can be, be part of and say, hey, this is how we can reach out and get you involved in this as part of our church. You know, there's so many similarities between uh, the early church's testimony and our testimony today. Then, uh, as now, you know, most of the people that the church kind of encounters these days have no idea about who Jesus truly is outside of the gossip they've heard in the streets. 
That was true then. That's true now. They, 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 some of them may have heard, uh, you know, Peter's preaching a huge part of the city, heard him when he was preaching uh, right after the outpouring of spirit right there in, in Acts chapter 2. They may have heard some of that. Just like today, there might be some people who, who remember something from their childhood, a great sermon that impacted them for some reason, or they saw something on the Internet or, or on TV or whatever it is. But it was on this background, just like it is our background, that the first church gave themselves to the study of God's word. That they would be able to, not only for their own sake and their own interest, but for the very life of those that they were guiding. They were able to help because they themselves were engaged at that level. Paul says it's pretty clear uh, when he says uh, to, to his churches, he says, my testimony has become life for you. Remember that? Can I repeat this to you as my dear friends? If you desire to know the blessings of God in strong, strong ways, you'll recognize that there's a first priority to the devotion to God's holy word. Imagine this. Could it be that every home, every phone, every computer became a vehicle for this to happen? Imagine this. First priority. Another first priority still expressed here in, in verse 42 is the priority to fellowship. When the first, when the church gathered, the goal was that the church would grow in size and in depth. Not just size, not just depth, but both. It was what happened when they gathered, as it says, from small home to small home, and they were breaking together bread. Their gathering was not just to meet to eat. It was to meet to eat in the name of Jesus and what follows from that. There's so much here. I don't know that I can finish in time, but I'm going to keep you. How's that? Uh, you know, the word koinonia it means fellowship. That's a word that is used here. It's such a strong, strong word. It's hard to almost express because we have so lowered down or watered down the meaning of that word fellowship that it means very little. Even in churches, right, our fellowship hall is what? Place to eat. So koinonia is a word that is used to express the intimate relationship that exists between a man and his wife when they seem to be connected at the hip. That's koinonia. Koinonia is used about businesses where, where two partners have sold everything they own. They come together to start a business and their very lives depend on each other. They have koinonia that's the kind of deep fellowship that was 
that's talked about here. And, and when it comes to church, of course, it's the same kind of things. They, they live in a fellowship so that they can see that here's something that is going on, a fellowship, a togetherness, a unitedness that is set on fire by Jesus Christ himself in the church. That word koinonia throughout scripture, it, it speaks to trust, to intimacy, to unity, to warmth, to love, to the melting together of lives. Because they were all together through Jesus Christ. In fact, when you start thinking about it just a little bit, Baptist churches have two ordinances. One is baptism. Baptism is is the entrance. It is that expression of commitment to the lordship of Christ as is lived out in his church. And then the other ordinance is the Lord's Supper. That is the participation in the fellowship of the Lord's body, his church. And as such, friends, don't miss this. The Lord's Supper is is like a theological high point. It is an event in which we express very clear things about God and what he has done. Christ, of course, is the host. He's the one who is inviting us. We are at that table, at that fellowship meal, because he has invited us. It's because of him, not because of you or me. Yes? We are invited, not because of who we are, not because of what we have done, but because he said, come on. You are invited. And so all differences kind of flow aside. All things are now focused on the unity. And we are here because we his. Don't miss this. The word brother at Delphos or sister at Delphia uh, means to come out of the same womb. There's something that goes beyond anything else. The same Spiritual womb. Look at this. Oh, God, there's so much to be said here. I'll, I'll try to shorten it a little bit and just, just look at this church who devoted themselves as a first priority to the teaching of God's word, the proclamation and the testimony of God's work in their midst. And they devoted themselves also to the fellowship and the breaking of bread in the name of Jesus. That's the priority. Maybe you can think through what that means for your friends, for your church, for those you reach out to and those you want to bring in. There is such a distinction and such a difference between what the Bible describes as fellowship and what we sometimes can experience in modern church where we show up and use church like a spiritual filling station, right? Show up, I need a little bit, and I go, then I'm gone again. This is how they see we keep our faith intact because we live together in the name of Jesus Christ in that setting. 
Let me move to the last one just because time is running. And just notice here the fellowship with God. That third first priority is they devoted themselves, gave themselves unceasingly and continuously to prayer. If you were to describe that first church in Jerusalem by anything, you would have to say, this is a praying church. Seven words are used in the New Testament, seven different words for prayer. The word that Luke chose to use here is the broadest of all those words. It it speaks to the deliberate kind of expression of a prayer to God. It's such a broad word. It includes just about everything, elements of, of petition, of, of, of intercession, of confession, of praise, of, of thanksgiving, and of worship. All of that seems to be involved in that word. And so here's a word that expresses people's desire to speak to God. To speak to God. It was, it was not to show off their, their own abilities to express themselves beautifully in terms of rhetoric. It, it was not about using the prayer as a moment of teaching to show everybody what you knew and to kind of promote your own ideas and your own uh, thinking about these things. This was praying with people and for people to God. Very clear what Luke is saying here. They prayed not so much that their fellow human being uh, would, would hear, but so that God might hear the earnest cry from their heart. They knew that that kind of prayer was what God Almighty desired to hear that would grab his attention. And he desired to fulfill. You know, it's, it's hard to miss, friends, the power of this. Right after this, the very next verse, they describe of what they do. So the first thing you see, chapter 1, I mean, chapter 3, verse 1, the very next verse is the church on their way to a prayer meeting. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. And some of you know that whole context where they, they meet someone uh, right there at the gate. And they say, silver and gold have I not, but in the name of Jesus stand up to walk. But the great story from the Middle Ages, the greatest theologian in the Middle Ages was uh, unquestionably uh, Thomas Aquinas. And, and maybe, uh, arguably at least so, he may still be the greatest theologian that, that the Catholic Church has ever produced. And so the story goes about him. He was, he was the uh, theologian, um, while Innocence IV was, was the Pope uh, in Rome. And so the story goes like this. Thomas Aquinas is coming in uh, to the uh, chambers of the Pope, where he was in the treasure chambers, where he was kind of counting the money. And so the Pope looks over at Thomas Aquinas and he says, My honorable Thomas Aquinas, 
We can no longer say, silver and gold have I not. To which Thomas Aquinas, without missing a beat, looked back at the Pope and said, My Holy Father, nor, nor can we say, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. You see, when a church turns its priorities upside down, it will lose its power. May I encourage you, all of us, myself included, just all of us, to become a church of prayer. A church of deep devotion to God. Because you see when that happens, when the church is given to these kinds of priorities, the priorities that God is setting, it has tremendous impact, not only for the, on the people in the church, but also on the people outside the church. That's what verse 43 spells out so clearly. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. We do not want to see that kind of church. Yes. That's what we want to see. But see, God has already set the priorities for how this happens. Right here. He's given us his agenda. Not the how-tos. They will change by century and by location. But the priorities that no one can change or should change. You know, I'm an engineer. You know that before our Lord called me to me. I just like to know mechanics. How does this work? When did they meet for worship? How long were they? How long was the sermon? Hopefully two hours, right? Uh, how, how, how many songs did they sing? You know, how did they go out and then tell other people about Christ? How did they do that? All that kind of stuff we, we like to know. But scripture has chosen to focus on content and priority, not on how to, because that will change. But the priorities stay. Can we determine in our hearts, together and collectively even, this morning, that we will not make secondary what is primary and primary what is secondary? Can God speak to us that way? Can we throw ourselves in the arms of God so that we will be characterized by this, think of this. When you're out in the streets, when you're sitting in your workplace, when you talk to someone wherever office you go to visit, and you, they hear about First Baptist Lord, and it says like this, everyone was filled with awe. Well, that's a place where God works. That's a place where he shows up. That's the place where people know why they follow Christ. There's so much to, to kind of unwrap here and unpack and more than we have time to do. But when it happens in us, it will happen through us. That's the sequence, friends, for how that works. 
So we must pray. We must pray for people. We must pray with people, but we must pray to God. No one is helped by our talk about surrender if we don't surrender. No one is helped by our talk of love if we don't love. No one is helped by, by, by just talk about prayer if we don't actually pray. So as we go to our own places, as we go to Sunday school and Bible study, as we go this week, I trust and I pray that in every home, prayer will characterize your gatherings. Yes? Could it be that we stand up, all of us, could it be that a number, maybe even a large number, will come down for it? Let's just stand and, and, you know, just make it down here. We are church, friends. We're God's community. We're We're here to pray that God will do his will through us and lead us in the right way. As an expression of love and unity, can we all just come, come down and pray for one another? I know we're not too used for that, and we don't want to make this a theatrical kind of thing, but let's pray. And there might be some here that says, I, I, I'm not sure I know the kind of Jesus, the kind of commitment you're, you're talking about. If you want to talk to us about knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this will be a time as well. And some of you said, hey, this church is starting a new chapter. We want to be part. We want to be part. However God speaks to you, we're here. Just hang on afterwards if you want to talk more. Father, we ask in a powerful, powerful, strong way that you will find in us these hearts that desire what we just heard was the desire devotion of the first church you called. That, that congregation that became the, the model for what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ. Father, I ask for each here that you will find in us a pure heart. That you will work in our hearts in such a way that we become aware of the things that need to be cleansed out. And we have the boldness and fortitude to kind of do what needs to be done to get that cleaned up with you. And if it involves others, with them. Hear our cry. Come from our heart, Lord. We, we want to see your work. We want to know in the bottom of our heart what your will is for our future right here as a church. And we trust you as you guide us by your spirit. Father, remind us of someone that we have not hugged in a long way, in a long time, that we need to go hug this morning or maybe call this afternoon and give them a hug on the phone, so to speak. We love you, Lord. And we want that love to flow through us to this community in here and this community outside here. Do it, O Lord. Do it, O Lord, by your Spirit.